0: there's no better course so and cross-country skiing is meant to be hard it's uh, a really fun race hi i'm rosie Frankowski from apu see here we have with a hero pure dally that's the great thing about sport make it rain making make it rain you're playing a win it is i mean that's that's our sport so toughen up train harder and get in that pack and make it rain make it make it make it rain uh, 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 it First of all, excuse me, wow. make, it while, <laughs> make it rain. i a while. speaking about income. Get Elizabeth. Here the big one. Make it rain. the toilet flush My last be a stance of a general custom. You see, the critic of air must use air to make a case against air. The fact that he's able to make an argument at all proves that he's wrong. You know, maybe with a fourteen, a fifteen pair fleet, you know. And uh and from that I it's sort of up to me to pick the ones that I really like, which is, can't be super hard. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have experience with testing two very nice pairs of skis, you know, that they feel exactly the same on the back stretch, it is Mellon and Richardson. My face, okay. My best advice to you, shut up. You're welcome. You're welcome. No, it wasn't playing me like You hey, shut up. It's just like, if you want to talk to me outside, I'm more than have to talk to you. Talk to you real fast. Bumble like Ridd, tell him again, bubble like the twins are gonna win the World Series. The twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one-nothing. And it's ain't for During the race, she heard me. I'm very flattered about that. <laughs> you are skiing very wise. change your because you don't know what I'm No, we're gonna have to work hard. We're gonna have to. We have to train hard, but you know, this, this group has got a has got an really work ethic, you know, so that's not gonna be the problem. It's the Alrighty, welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Cedarquist, here for this shortened edition midweek show. And um, joined with the assistant producer, the assistant to the assistant producer. That's um, Novi Cedarquist here in the back. Right now she's um, flipping through a large writer's almanac book and very busy. So if she contributes to the podcast, that's just the way it's going to be today. Um, it is August 5th, and crisis has hit Leadville. That is multiple crises, actually. I know. The boom days would be the first thing. It's just crazy out there. The Safeway, uh, there's a lot more weird people there, a lot more discombobulated-looking campers in the lot. Um, Oh, no. Well, what's the... Okay. She's all, all right again. I'm not sure if I, you know... Yeah, okay. Anyway, so Leadville, the boom days... Uh, that's that is bringing a lot of a lot of people to Leadville. That's a good thing, I guess, for the economy or whatever. But um, the real crisis that's taking place is right off of Mountain View Drive, and the obviously in in a in a moment of incredible, uh, or I should say, a moment of a lack of empathy and consideration. Uh, the, Leadville, the city of Leadville has decided to erect a series of speed bumps right down one of the most critical roller skiing roads in the entire city. And again, just the, the lack of consideration. Obviously, the roller ski community was not um, reached before this decision was made. They were not considered at all uh, high discrimination, high levels of discrimination here in this town. And it's certainly, if those, if those barriers are not moved, as we launch our upcoming series on the greatest towns for training, for skiing, this has, this has to be high up on the list. Wouldn't you agree, Novi? Go. Mm-hmm. I'm on it. What was that? Well, folks, if you are are still listening to us, you've probably, we had to take a quick like commercial break there, um, stop the podcast. This is one of the most entertaining podcasts probably so far that we've ever had. Um, I, I believe what just happened is I was trying to talk to Novi and I said something that must have triggered my antique Android phone's voice, um, which my phone has this weird, capability to talk to me whenever I don't really need it to talk to me and what I mean by that is it has the thing where like if you click it or touch it in the wrong way it'll tell you what time it is. So I will be thick in the middle of a wonderful Nordic ski session or a bike ride and I'll be listening to some tunes or a podcast and all of a sudden I will just move the wrong molecule in my body and you'll hear... It's 8.15 or something like that. And then it just keeps doing that every 30 seconds. Like it just is affected uh, very strangely. So that may have just happened now. But anyway, the crises, roller skiing, Leadville, what is happening? And uh, we're very upset. That's kind of the big breaking news item that I have on the agenda for today, if you can believe it. Actually, not completely. There's a lot that's been going on. And uh, it starts with the Blink Festival. If we can go to the news desk here. Uh, we don't have our sounder that's been made yet. We're getting the staff is getting to work on some sound bites and sounders. I think for the show to make it a little more interactive and kind of hold you to the fire more. We, we're we've been told from our Google Analytics people that the average listening length for the show is somewhere between three and a half minutes and five minutes, which basically brings you through the intro music every time. And so we think if we can add more, um, I think it's uh, a highly engaging. Uh, features to the show we can keep you here longer so we're working on that so to the news desk here Cedar Skier News there I just did it for you Uh, right now the biggest news is that Clabo is apparently injured and this is big news on a couple of fronts. One, Klabo could be done. Is Klabo done? Okay. Second, he was supposed to be coming to Park City here for this altitude stint uh, at the end of August through the end of September. And by the looks of it on Instagram, his message, oh, I'm going to read in a second. It kind of seems to suggest that maybe that's off for right now. So here we go. Uh, by the way, studio, Cedarskier.com, Cedarskier Podcast Studios here, 10,152 feet. Oh, Shovel Lake Public Radio, sorry we didn't mention that. Uh, we have the entire family watching in the studios here. It's a very big deal. You can purchase tickets if you want to watch a real live Cedar Skier podcast show. Um, tickets are $235, exactly. So send me cash only um, in an envelope. Meet me under the uh, bridge to nowhere next to Frisco. Moving on, Johannes Clabo. He said, this is 16 hours ago. I will spend a lot of time the next weeks running in water. Due to an injury in the upper part of my hamstring, four weeks ago, I woke up with some pain in my leg, so we took an MRI scan. Out of the images, we were able to find the problem, and it seems like it's going to take a while before I'm back to normal training. My physiotherapist has given me a training plan to make the injury heal as fast as possible, and in the meantime, I'll just try to stay positive. I can still do some training on roller skis, but not as much as I'd planned or with the same intensity." The original plan was to do some competitions and altitude training in the end of this month, but now the focus is to get well enough to do the normal training. The coming period will definitely be a challenging time for me, but I'm keeping my head up and looking forward to when all this is over. Still glad it is a few months left until the season starts. Um, And then the first post here from... Someone looks like a blue checkmark. This might be a real person. Oh, it's Petter Nortug. (laughs) He said 200 meter butterfly, Paris 2024. Let's go. I think I like it. Um, Oh, I get it because the picture is of Klabo in the pool. So he's cross training. Well, here's the thing. When I first saw this story break, I was thinking, man, Klabo could be done here. And I know that sounds preposterous, but work with me, okay? He's such a dynamic skier. He's never really been injured, okay? So those two things, why that's relevant at all is um well obviously if you're relying on on your dynamic explosive power and all that, like a hamstring is a it's a really bad injury a bad thing to tweak you see all the time nfl players that they never re- especially speed players when they have hamstring issues they kind of never are the same you know and, and no matter how much time they take off it's just one of those muscle groups that it never really rebounds completely um and so i mean not, not that that's the same as like, um, if he, if Klabo was a two hundred meter sprinter or a wide receiver for the Denver Broncos or something like that, like it, it's not quite the same thing, obviously. But uh, you never really know, and there's not, we don't know a ton about the extent of this. Like, how do you wake up and have pain in your leg? Like, how, obviously he must have done something to get that. It'd be interesting to know, like, was he doing a workout, a speed, some sort of drill. You know, and he actually strained it bad. I assume that's what it was, but he kind of makes it mysterious. Like, he just woke up and his hamstring was hurting. Uh, but anyway, that that element of him being so reliant upon that, like, if this was Bolshanov, you'd almost be like, well, it's not the end of the end of the world because he wasn't the guy who was winning stuff in final sprints anyway, you know? Um, so th- that's the part, to me, that kind of at least jumps out as why I, it's not quite as preposterous. And then the other part, too, of him being injured, the stage of his career— Um, he is, he's still young, you know, and, and if he was totally healthy the rest of the time, like he's got, he's got a ton of time left that he could be great. And, uh, it's more that, you know, for, for someone, you never know how people are going to deal with injuries. I guess I'll put it that way. You never know, um, how they how they'll deal with it physically and psychologically. And both of those things are extremely critical and and kind of on top of all that, Clabo is very accomplished. He hasn't really he's done everything he uh to make a full career he's already arguably the greatest most accomplished nordic skier of all time you know and so he what's the motivation for him to come back more more hungry there is some i mean it wasn't like it wasn't like he won six golds at this last olympics like if you would have done something nuts like that then then you'd be really going man i i doubt he's gonna come back from this so uh, he he left the last olympics in my opinion, like that was Bolshanov's Olympics. Bolshanov established himself as kind of the king, um, and Klabo had a very successful Olympics, but it wasn't quite, you know, as dominant as the past, the 2018 Olympics was for Klabo. Anyway, so as preposterous as it sounds, I think, you know, this is a little bit nerve-wracking, and I know no one is saying it like that, but that's why we have to be cutting edge. That's why you come to the Cedar Skewer podcast to get these takes that no one else is willing to to do okay so there's the Klabo story there's the take on it that was big news also though in Norway the blink festival is going on and, and particularly impressive performances we saw from Sophia laukley the American who won the seven and a half K kilometer uphill skate uh the first opening event and um great performance by Laukley she was on the uh, the focus of our last show you know um I'm just trying to pull up here our results from blink let's see if i can find that blink blink here we go um so this this isn't like necessarily an ultra ridiculously surprising result she did really well at the hill climb and the tour to ski she's obviously in great shape from all of her um trail running exploits and so, you know, to see her win this uphill, it's kind of a special th- uh, specialty event. It's right in her wheelhouse. And um, I think that's kind of the story there. Obviously, a lot of excitement from the American ski community. Lockley was 13 seconds ahead of Claudel, the French uh, historically a really good climber, Delphine Claudel and Heidi Vang was third 50 seconds back some other big names that you'd see in here I'm just kind of scrolling through the results who else would we care about Swiss is Nadine Feindrick, I don't know how to say these names, come on guys Um, anyone else North American or not no, nothing nothing of note I don't think that we'd have to bring up but um, Laukley uh, I kind of wonder, like, could she be sort of the next Yohog in a way? Uh, she has a very similar um, build and ability. It seems like, obviously, this was Yohog's event, the big one that she has the record of uh, at blank the uphill. Uh, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see. You know, like I, I'm tempted to get too excited from this result and really hop on the Lockley bandwagon. I think that's kind of risky. We don't, we haven't really seen enough of her on the world cup. She's still really young too. Um, so I hope that this is the year where Novi McCabe and Lockley really take some big jumps and they kind of, they establish themselves as the new, you know, kind of face and players of our U.S. ski team as Diggins is, is sort of like going toward the next chapter, the later stages of her career. I think that, I think we need that so this will be interesting to see it, it or the other thing I'm thinking in my head though, is this the product of her being kind of at peak fitness for trail running? And then this type of an event of an event really suits that fitness. Well, um, Uh, I've seen a couple of like Strava related posts from Lockley on like, you know, decent roller skis out in Salt Lake City. So it's not like she's just trail running, you know, in fact, on the single track podcast, she had said her training is somewhere in the 20 hours a week range. And uh, about half of that is roller skiing. So I don't know. It's interesting. Hopefully, you know, she doesn't flame out or anything like that, that, that she's not just trying to burn too much for too long, um, because that would be the one the one tricky part of her approach of trying to be world-class trail runner and also world-class Nordic skier, especially coming off an Olympic year, an NCAA championship year. It's just, it's been a lot. That actually though, on that point, one thing I was thinking about today is why, what, what is the logic, like the scientific reasoning here behind a peak a a peak for an athlete or like you know the the standard wisdom or conventional wisdom conventional knowledge that an athlete can really only peak for a certain amount of time and a certain amount of times in the year um in endurance sports you know you're looking at two maybe three key competitions you can really peak for uh because of just the way a training cycle, 12 months in a year is set up. Um, and I read this interesting book when I was kind of in my um, sports fizz, cross-country running. I wanted to you know, consume every training methodology possible phase of my life about eight years ago. I remember one of the books that was really interesting to me was a guy who coached for a Division three school that was very successful, and his thought was... Um, that if you are training properly, you are stepping, stair-stepping growth. Your, your fitness growths are in a stair-step fashion, um, um, and your volume is stair-stepping. It's all increasing. It, uh, what I'm trying to say is if you're training properly, you are resting and exerting. Oh, my gosh. Let me try this again. <laughs> I'm out of breath. <laughs> If you're training properly, proper training, what it looks like is stressing the body and allowing for adequate adequate rest, and so your body can um, compensate for that. And if you do that properly, you'll just stepwise grow in fitness throughout the year. And so he'd have three weeks on, one week kind of off, and he would just grow volume, intensity, everything to the point where like the week of the Nash or the week before two weeks before nationals, you know, he'd have his top guys running 100 miles a week. And he sort of said that might seem like a shock to you because you you, you know you're used to reading this reader um, that you you go from a hundred mile weeks down to like thirty the week you know for the taper phase and he just was like that that actually makes no sense if you are <laughs> if you he had the you know line drawn out that we see in scientific research studies of you know. Um, stress and recovery and it's just like if you're doing this properly then the nationals just falls on a recovery or super compensation phase and boom the way you go Um, and so it is it's uh, on that logic I would think too if you're someone who is training and competing 11 months a year or whatever why would you ever have to not be in good or nearly peak fitness Um, what's kind of the what's the cause casual or or causation the what's the reason why a human can't be fit for 48 weeks you know i know that we have data that would say that can't be done but i want to know what's the mechanism behind that what what, why is that um and i think without really diving into that question one element that i think should be brought in this conversation is that great performance and championship peak performance occurs not just when you have that peak physical fitness, but also you have decided emotionally and mentally to peak for a performance. I mean, in the most layman term, you really care about this. And I, I I, take this from coaches in the past told me too, like the reason you have four or five meets before the section or regions or, or state championship um, the reason you approach those with a little like, hey, this isn't, this isn't like the end all be all, you know, save some of your emotional energy here. Uh, you're still exerting 100% physical effort, but you're not gearing up in the same mental way. And, and it might seem kind of hogwashy, but if you think about it, like you can't be in a do or die mental state for every single race and sustain that. I don't think anyone can really do that. Now, in the same way, you could argue that physical people can't just hammer for 52 weeks a year in a physical race. You know, but that might be on a scale. Some people can can hammer for forty seven weeks. You know, Sarah Hall does nine marathons a year and does them really well. Some people can only do one. I think the same um, the same uh, diversity, I guess, of physical abilities and and that 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 exists in the mental side too. So, I guess I'm trying to answer that that question, you know, myself here. But it'd be interesting if someone has you know points me to some studies of like here's why we can only peak. For a few times the year or be in that peak fitness, we can't just you know train properly and be pretty fit all year. here's Here's the mechanism behind that. I'd be interested. Uh, but I think the the kind of just armchair reaction or experiential reaction from me is, hey, you have to be in peak physical fitness for peak performance, but you also have to be emotionally uh, invested and you don't have an unlimited store of that emotional um, engagement and commitment, I guess to a race all right so other things in the Blink festival i just saw today the big 50k double pull petter nortzeg was in there he got like forty sixth place i believe um and andrew musgrave got second out sprinted by max novak so all you vizmaski classics fanatics out there i don't know if you've done the deep dive and the analysis there on the where people are at you know novak is typically he's hammering he's one of those guys who does you know like five 5-hour uh, double pole sessions like several times a week so <laughs> this is nothing new for him i i did watch a couple of clips from the race and i was amazed honestly with the i know this is you know people in Norway would listen and laugh at this but i i was kind of amazed at just the comfort level of all these athletes flying on the downhills on their roller skis through these towns presumably, you know, they do kind of know the course and many of them have done it before, but I I would guess that some haven't. and, and to just, to just rip down around these blind turns, you don't really know how steep the hill is, um, all those things. And and then just tucking and going. And, and I've, I've always felt a little bit like with roller skis, classics, classic skis are better, but like my skate skis don't track so well that I, I cannot step turn. I have to be step turning kind of constantly just keep them pointed down the track My classic skis, you can kind of just lock in and go and lean, you know, and keep them there, but yeah, they were flying and and bunched up right next to each other, and I get that they're doing that in the winter, and it's even, like, more congested, but there's something about being on the pavement to me, I guess, that was just flooring, and perhaps it was because last night I was out on the beautiful paved road that we have in Leadville down by the fish hatchery, and there's a hill, um a steep hill that gets you kind of going, it has a, a sharp turn on it. And uh, most of this, this three mile stretch is very flat, but there's this one hill that, that does provide some speed. And I was lapping this a couple of times. And so the last time down, I was like, you know, I think I'm fine. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take it and not check my speed at all. And so there was this first hill, a slight flat slash gradual downhill, and then on the steep drop and turn. And I'm just going and I probably, it would have been interesting to get a, you know, speedometer on it, but I was probably in the, you know, between 17 and 22 miles an hour, I would guess, you know, and, and it's like the difference between going 15 miles an hour and like 19 miles an hour is really dramatic on a roller ski. Like you, you all of a sudden the balance, your center of gravity, it feels so different. And because I'm never really doing that, it felt really off. Like I almost felt like I I almost fell over and it was kind of a weird, like I I felt like I was going to fall over my front, you know, like, so I don't know, uh, maybe I just have not roller ski enough, but that's an interesting thing that like your ability to descend on roller skis is different than skis even where like that center of gravity, because the ski is so small. And when I was out in park city doing the, Soldier Holocaust, course, I remember thinking the same thing, like the big hill that they have that drops down. It's just this really steep, short hill, and there's no issue of like it's a sharp turn or anything. The, the scariest part is actually just descending so steeply with such a small apparatus on your feet, like that you can't, your balance forward to back is weird. So I don't know, That that's the thing is these guys just make it look so easy, and that's uh, that's kind of fascinating, I think. Uh, next up here on this uh, shortened edition of the Cedar Skier podcast, um, speaking of roller ski festivals, we saw in America, we've been seeing this kind of pop up just a little bit, right? Roller ski festivals coming around. Bridger Ski Foundation had one out in Bozeman where they kind of partnered this up with the um, the trail the Bridger Jim Bridger trail run. They had kind of a in town criterium style roller ski race. Great job. Andy and you will have kind of like organizing this event. And um, I wasn't in person for this. This was right after we did our testing. Um, but, but there's that one. There's obviously a lot of the stuff going on out East. Um, but this one at the Bridger in Bozeman, and then also the one in Wisconsin that just happened as well. Um, I think it was the first year they had The, what are they, the lake sprints, lakefront sprints? I got to look that up. So shoreline sprints, that's the name of it. The shoreline sprints were um, out there, Nordic, in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. I'm looking at overall 60, this was July 8th. Graham Ritchie won the 16K, Brian Gregg, the top American in third at that event. Um, And we, there was 20 athletes um in the men's race on the women's side. Um Kayla Keller Miller, Ingrid T Thier, Amanda Kautzer, um Americans in the top, and then the sprints. The sprints, who won that one? That would be oh maybe it'll show us here. The shoreline sprints, yes, distance. I see that now. Okay, yep. Can you uh Oh, here we go. Friday. Nope, that's the one I just clicked on. Ah! Uh, The sprints, the men's, the winner was... Oh, Graham Ritchie won it again. Okay. So there was that event in July. And then, of course, uh, I I see here as well when I googled this, on Saturday, August 3rd, a 6K and 10K classic roller ski race, Mad Norski, climbed to the top of Blue Mountain State Park, Southern Wisconsin, highest point... Well, that sounds kind of interesting. We should be we should be out there. Oh geez, I wish I was there. A climb. Hill climb race. So, um, that's pretty cool that we have some of this roller ski the festival type stuff. Hey, it's coming in America too. You know, this is important. Like Blink Festival is so huge, it's crazy. Um, but even just this grassroots stuff we have starting in America is a big deal to kind of get that stuff, stoking the flame, stoking the fire. It'd be fun. I'd love to do a roller ski event. Um, I, I think a cool, like a life goal for me, honestly, if I could do the uphill one in blink that I, I, if I could do that next year, I'd do it. If someone was like, we'll sign up for the 50 K one. I don't know. You, I'd be freaked out to do that. I'd have to go to Norway like 10 months in advance and scope out the course and like run it and bike it and roller ski it a hundred times before I do it. I'd probably still be like putting on brakes, you know, on it, whatever. But, um, uh, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. You know, some of these roller ski, the Visma ski classics, roller ski races too. Like the, a lot of them, it's like 95% of the course you go. I, I could do that. That looks beautiful. The roads are great. Um, and then there's, there's probably a few moments where you'd be terrified <laughs> and I probably would cause some of those epic falls and crashes that you see on YouTube. Uh, so, but, but a roller ski doing a roller ski race, I think would be fun. Uh, for sure. I have a few great ideas, as you can imagine. A few challenges out here in Colorado I kind of want to do by myself. Um, but lately, uh, here's the next soundbite. Uh, Cedar, skier, inside look. Inside look. Training, training. Um, inside look at what's kind of going on for me right now. My my right shoulder has been act- feeling a little weird when I'm been double pulling. Um, I can't tell if it's just because I, I sort of just hopped into everything maybe a little too fast. I've, I've been trying to not like... I didn't, I didn't first day two and a half hours of double pulling, you know, I gave it a few easy days, but I am still wondering if, if I'm actually just kind of feeling, I don't know, kind of creaky old in some of those joints in there just because, um, you know, I, I took a long time off. I hope that's it. I don't really feel anything in my left shoulder. So that's the part that's a little nerve wracking, but hopefully it's just a tweak, nothing too serious. Like, um, uh, you know, our shoulders can be a problem. This is not the shoulder I dislocated back in the day either. So I know it's my strong shoulder, right? Uh, anyway, well, the other thing update tomorrow, we've got the copper triangle. I'm going to do that ride. I'm very excited. Um, a little nervous. Uh, well, not nervous, but well, yeah, I guess I'm nervous. The, the I'm nervous about the fact that my bike right now and the chain is, it's getting old. The whole drivetrain is, it's getting ready to be replaced, I think. And so cyclists out there, you know, you start to learn that like you have less and less options uh, gearing combinations to use without your chain jumping around all over the place. And that is happening to me. And, and the ones that appears to be jumping on are like critical climbing uh, ratios. So that's not good. Um, I might be kind of doing like a single speed thing where I'm just like cranking up and over <laughs> the uh, Fremont pass. I think if I get over Fremont, you know, then I got a long ways to go, but they have this timed section up Vale pass. And I really want to see like how fast I can do that. And I know I'm going to be limited if I can't like stand up on the pedals. I'm, I'm a good climber when I can stand on the pedals. I really, I I, I don't know. It, it feels good. I'm a little bit the Alberto Contador style, not just the Lance, Lance Armstrong, like sit, Chris Froome, sit and get the cadence really high. I mean, I like doing that too, but I think I'm actually faster when I stand up and I can just stand up for like 10 minutes at a time. But that's when my chain, like it'll just give out. So anyway, pray for me, pray I don't get hit. Copper Triangle is tomorrow. And then, of course, you know, the Leadville 100 is coming up. So coming up on our next show uh, next week, we're going to kind of take a look at some fun things with the Leadville Hundred. There, I, I found uh, you know the list they've got online of like everyone who's done the Leadville Hundred. And We've got some great names. We've got to pull out um, famous people, and, um, and and we're not even sure they could be doppelganger, like literary doppelgangers, where it's you know is is this actually the Billy Demong? Um, there is a guy in there, Vince Lombardi, apparently finished the Leadville Hundred. So. <laughs> That stuff like that. We got to do a deep dive. We got to look at Leadville Hundred. We're, we're going to get all excited about it since we are the fastest growing Nordic ski and endurance related podcast in all of Lake County. I think we got to talk about Lake County's premier race, even though we don't really have a dog in the fight. Um, but we are planning on doing kind of a wall-to-wall coverage here on the Cedar Skier Podcast to get you pumped about it, if nothing else. Um, I think the reason I'm kind of out of breath here is I'm just kind of talking so fast. Um, so sorry if. If you didn't make it to the end of this podcast, I guess, you know, next time we'll have those sound bites to keep you glued to the action. But we just want to kind of get a quick one in here because stuff has been happening so fastly here, even in the Nordic ski world. Um, We want to try and stay up to up to snuff and up to date on things. So, you know, wanted to bring you that news of the crisis in Leadville and, you know, think twice now about coming and roller skiing because you might be on the mineral belt. Mountain View Drive is still good as far as I know. Um, but I, am just praying that this is something that they did more for boom days. There's signs out here for like detours, um, trucks only, you know, you can't come through here. And I know that the trucks only thing is a, is a, um, is a boom days thing. So, They reroute the trucks so they can't come through Leadville. And the detour is, uh, um, it goes to these small residential areas. So they can't have trucks go through there. So they created a detour for the trucks. And there's these speed bumps in there. And and I'm hoping that the speed bumps are in just for that reason. If they keep those, I mean, we're going to have speed bump gate, you know, every day on cedarskier.com. Um, speaking of which our cedarsgear.com we're kind of uh updating random stuff every day trying to get a post up every day there's a new column up um check it out give me some feedback tell me what you think a little bit about Jakob ingebretson um his ability to talk to the media and not give a bleep <laughs> not exactly more like more like Jakob just being authentic and fun and kind of messing around with um people who are expecting cliche answers and and he, he doesn't do it in a way that comes across really as like an annoying cockiness. It's a, it's a fun confidence. It's also kind of a lighthearted, hey, man, just chill out attitude. Um, and, and it's also got this interesting authenticity and, and revealing nature to it where I think he he kind of actually gives you something. Whereas a lot of athletes who are interviewed, they don't give you anything. They, they just have cookie cutter answers or they sort of spill everything out. Um, I'm looking at Michaela Schifrin right now. Like sometimes people can be so authentic, but not really composed that they, they almost give you word salad, emotional things. Um, so that's what the call, the column is, is about Yaka. but I think there's a second column here. And I think it's kind of more veering towards what I just said. And the difference between like a, um, an athlete like Michaela, who I still enjoy actually reading her stuff because it's raw. I like that, but, so is Sydney McLaughlin. Her st- her responses are also real and raw, but she is so well spoken and composed. And she just there's so much uh, a sense of a firm foundation of where she's coming at her her um, beliefs, her belief in herself. Um, she doesn't really have a problem saying something like, "I think I might stop doing the 40 meter hurdles and try a different event." Minutes after breaking the world record by like a second you know, you're just kind of like, whoa, that's kind of breaking news. And you just said it in front of everyone in a post-race interview. That's kind of crazy. You know, um, it'd be like Michaela Schifrin saying she's going to join the Nordic ski team, you know? Um, but, but Sydney has a way of where she is open, but she's classy and she's composed. Um, I didn't expect to really end the show like this, but you know, it's something that I think we, we could bring up here in a future show of athletes dealing with the media and how in America, it's always seems like a lose-lose situation. Who does it best? Um, and, and I think that's the stark thing with Jakob is maybe it's because he's not American. So he just kind of messes with our press. I don't know. But he's a cool dude. That's up. Check it out. Um, We'll be on. We got some interviews as well coming your way. Some great content. I spoke for 90 minutes with the new self-supported 14er record holder, Dan Hobbs, the other day. So we're going to get that show to drop. He climbed all the 14ers in colorado all 58 in 14 days 17 hours and 33 minutes and he drove himself to all of them as well so uh that's a really fascinating story a lot more to it than just the athletic component and and the athletic component there's definitely going to be some things i think that surprise um uh the listeners here because The the difficulties of a of a a feat like that, they might not be all the things you would have originally thought. So that's coming up. That's coming your way. We also have an interview with Kim Dobson, the greatest uphill runner, trail runner in America, female uh, uphill runner in America. Others, probably Joe Gray. (coughs) I did have an interview with him, too, but I don't think we can play that because it was a long time ago anyway. And um, Joe did not say that I could put that make that podcastable but kim did and she's got a great story so a lot of fun stuff coming your way here on the cedar skier podcast uh stay tuned tell your friends share everyone uh share shovel lake public radio we're, we're so grateful that shovel lake public radio has opened up their airwaves for this to be broadcast on ten thousand watt radio um live across the country <clears throat> so that that's been a, a treat as well i guess it's about that time we will be signing off for all of you out there. Keep on striving. Keep on it's the heart of a champion, up and veins, to to it's the heart of a